When we look at the difference between what is an optimist and what is a pessimist, um, I have a wonderful little illustration here. I'm sure you can see that in the back. But um, basically the optimist says and, and thinks this is the best world possible. Of course, the pessimist fears that it is. And you have the famous quote from Mark Twain where he says that a man who is a pessimist before he is 48 knows too much. But if he's an optimist afterward, he knows too little. When we think about pessimists and optimists, we always think that as a group or as a collective um, organization such as our church, we want only optimists in our church. But I think they are two coins of the same side, or two sides of the same coin, however you would like to say that. In that when we look at the world and how we live, an example is the optimist. He invents the airplane and he says, I can fly. And the pessimist who's thinking about this says, I will be safe and wear a parachute. We need both in our church because they bring that both sides to issues and problems. I mean, we have the optimist who says, my cup runneth over. And the pessimist says, somebody has to clean up the mess. We need both in our church. When we look at the Bible, so much is given in optimism. When we read the book of Proverbs that comes before our book that we want to discuss today, there's so much optimism, so much cheer, so much of what we want to see and hear in the world in Proverbs. But then we get to Ecclesiastes. And it looks like the whole world has just been turned upside down. Because the book just looks like this is the worst place to live and I don't want to be here. It starts off with that chapter 1 where in other translations, instead of saying vanity, it uses the word meaningless. And it says meaningless or vanities three times in the second verse. You can't find this anywhere else in the Bible, this what seems like depression and gloom. But I would like to challenge us this week to go home and read this book with a new understanding. It doesn't take very long to read the 12 chapters. But as we continue to read, it seems like the first part starts off with things that are very depressing. It's like the old poem, there's no joy in Mudville tonight. Because so much of my life and so much of what I'm working with is just depressing and I look at it over and over again. And we think about who wrote this, Solomon is writing this, wasn't he a wise king? And yet he says, wisdom is worthless. Wasn't he rich? And he says, well, riches are worthless. Didn't he seem to have everything, career, everything that we want today? And yet he says in this book, it's all chasing the wind. He doesn't stop there. He even says pleasure is meaningless. 
I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made rivers and reservoirs. He did all of this stuff that we start to read about in chapter 2. And yet, he says it's all meaningless. It seems to me here is a person that we admire in our world today. A very goal-oriented person who's out working in the world and saying, I'm accomplishing this. Look, I can do it. It seems like every candidate that we have for president says, look, look at my record. I can do this. I can handle this. And yet a person who did it and handled it said, oh, it's all meaningless. It's worthless. Nothing means anything. So how is it that in the Bible here we're told that working on a career, working to gain worldly pleasures, working on all of this is meaningless? Is there anything left? Is there no joy in life? We continue reading and we think, oh, wait a minute. I know what the joy in life is. I just haven't gotten to it yet. I'll continue to read the book, find out what's there. And as we continue to read, we go through, aha, here's the one, religion. That will bring me joy. But once again, we start reading that in chapter 7, verse 20. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Okay, even religion is worthless and meaningless in this book. And you're saying, yet... Bill, you told us to go read this. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? How can we enjoy religion if everything we try to do only makes it worse? When we sit around and we think about others who are sitting next to us, we try and identify people. Is that a person an optimist? Are they a pessimist? And we check off all those marks. And yet when we start to look at this, we must think on this and reflect more because it says that religion is meaningless, that joy, we can find no joy in things, there is no joy in pleasure, there is no joy in career. And so here we are without any fun at all, which will make the pessimist quite happy because that's what church is all about, right? No joy. It's a pretty clear idea in some Christian circles that we want to take all of the joy out of this, that salvation only comes by this effort and work and sadness. But that's what it looks like to a superficial reader. They see us and they see and seem to think that there is no joy here. But I'd like to turn this around and say that's not what Solomon is saying here. By acquiring wisdom or pleasure or real estate or hobbies or relationships, we will get no meaning. We will get no joy from these areas if we do not pursue them with the correct attitude or the correct meaning. Throughout the whole book of Solomon, it is written, he does not say 
that it is sinful to produce to pursue wisdom, pleasure, career, wealth, or religion. He does not say it's wrong. He says, what is the point? Why is this meaningless? The problem, he says, is that we put too much energy into these, quote, things. We put too much energy into acquiring wisdom. We put too much energy into acquiring pleasure, career, wealth, and even too much energy into religion. We put it backwards because our effort and our push and our goal should be one thing, and that is Christ only. Because if we push and we strain for other things, even here in church, if we push and strain to work here at church, we've got it wrong. Because that energy needs to be channeled so that it's channeled into our pursuit of Christ and learning Him only. Because if our energies are produced and channeled into career, into wealth, into things like this, if that's where our energy is and we can find success and joy, then we're atheists. Because we do not believe in God. Because God is first and God is only. When we spend our energy, think of it this way. When you spend your energy and your time and your conversation, what is it about? When you speak to fellow church members, what is that energy and that conversation about? When we chase dreams and achievements and prosperity, it will leave us empty if we do not put God first. We need God to ellipse everything else in our lives, to take everything else away from our views, and then everything else will have the meaningness, meaningfulness that Solomon says is missing in everything else. When we put God first and only first, we will find our higher pursuits follow easy afterwards. Sometimes we as Christians like to create boxes. We say, here's a box for my career. Here's a box for what I watch on television. Here is a box for how I speak with others. Here is a box for my church. And yet God says, the earth should only be one box, and I should fill it. When we look for answers and we look for things, sometimes we look at that optimistic idea of everything's going to turn out okay. But we need to understand that Ecclesiastes was written to bring us into touch with what really matters. The book of Ecclesiastes has answers. But if we look at that first part and we say, oh, this is all gloom, it's all doom, we will all walk around and greet each other and say, the world's about to end, it's so sad. 
But when we look at the end of it and we say, for instance, when you get down to the end of chapter 12, and we look at chapter 12, verse 13, and it says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of mankind. This is what the meaning of the book is. That's it. To keep God's commandments. The rest will fall into place. And by keeping God's commandments and bringing God first into our lives, we will fill our lives with joy, with happiness, and we will greet each other with joy and happiness because we don't care that we haven't done A or done B or our fellow citizen here in the church has not done A or B. The only thing that matters is that we are here together because we love Christ. When we look at that text and the way it says the fear, fear God and keep his commandments, it does not mean that we are scared people. It means that we have put God first, that we have said he means more to us than anything else. God means more to me than my religion. God means more to me than my church. It's words that sound almost blasphemy. But unless we put God first, we will be like the Pharisees at Jesus' time. When he said, you are whitewashed sepulchers. You look beautiful on the outside, but there's nothing in there. The only way that we can fill up what's in there is by putting God first, bringing him into our lives. So when we look at this, optimist, pessimist, yes, we, both, we need both sides of that in our lives. But let's look at now Solomon's words of wisdom and look at that in a new light. Because the optimist then will say, according to Solomon, it is not a person who pursues wisdom, but he pursues wisdom with God in mind. It is not a person who pursues wealth, who pursues things in this world, but it is a person who puts God first. It is not a person who pursues religion, but it is a, God, a person who fills themselves with God and then overflowing takes that religion or takes that spirit-filled life and presents it to others. What I want most for us today, as we think about this, is not only that we are pursuing careers, we are pursuing closer understanding of the Bible, but that we also pursue that wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. So that becomes first. When that is first, the rest will all be there. And then when we read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, we will understand and we will say, this is a book of joy because it's telling me that it's all meaningless. And for me, there is only one thing that is needed. 
when Paul talks about this, he talks about the same thing. He said, I have all this stuff, but it is only Christ and only Christ which I will present to the world because then the world will know that I have joy, that I have peace because it only comes from God. 